G'day. Today's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 19, verse 20. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had... The evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Well, thanks for reading this morning, Michael. Um, I think many of you, as I look out across the room here, many of you have been to my house, to the house that I share with Meredith and our four kids. Uh, many of you would have um, been into our dining room or into our lounge room. Maybe you've sat around the dining room table. And and generally when we have people over to our house, before they come round, we do what probably all of you do, and that is we we go around and we kind of tidy up a little bit. Now, we don't like scrub every nook and cranny, um, 
but we do go around and make sure that any of the random odd socks that seem to scatter themselves from the front door to the back door have been picked up and the, the toys that sort of magically walk themselves out of the playroom, we make sure that they're picked up and put away. And we do that because we, we love you guys and we want you to see our house in a nice way, not as it normally is. Um, now, many of you, as I said, probably have been in our dining room, uh, sat around our dining room table, but few of you would have been into our garage. That's, that's pretty normal, right? Most of the time when you go into someone's house, you don't go into people's garages. Uh, and and in, that, in our house, uh, that means that the garage doesn't get very much attention in terms of being tidied up. So this morning, I want you to see what the inside of my garage looks like. Uh, here's a photo on the screen behind me. It's a mess, right? A real, a real mess. I, I, I've not sorted things out in there. I've not put things away. There are unfinished projects all over the place in there. Bags of cement, bags of concrete, bricks for a pizza oven that I one day hope to build. There's half-built tables. There's old cupboard doors that need to be fixed. Concrete blocks for future garden walls and bikes. There are bikes everywhere in our garage. I don't know how we've got so many bikes, but they are everywhere. And this week, I want to add to that mess. I want to go out and stock up on steel because I'm just feeling like lockdown is imminent and you can never have enough things to weld when you're in lockdown. So I need to put even more stuff into my garage this week. All right, James, you can take that photo down. That's enough embarrassment for me this morning. I put this up there, though, because this is a real photo. It's what it's actually like. I didn't tidy up our garage at all before I took that photo and I didn't mess it up anymore either. I just opened the door, took a photo, and there it is. It's real. And it's messy. And today I want to spend some time thinking about how the church grows and what the mission of God looks like with you as we look at these two chapters of Acts that Michael has just read to us. And I want us to see that church growth, even in the book of Acts, can be messy can be hard. And when, uh, we want to look at this this morning because when I think about Acts, often I think about the early church and the way it grew as being you know, just a really rosy picture, all miracles and amazing things happening and an almost like effortless church growth. I mean, think back to chapter 2. Do you remember looking at that together a few months back? Peter preached that wonderful sermon where he declared Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And in verse 41 of chapter 2, Luke tells us that Those who accepted their message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amazing. And Acts has certainly got those stories in it. But it's not the only way that the mission of God works in the book of Acts. Yes, the church is growing and rapidly in the book of Acts. Yes, there are some amazing conversion stories and conversion events. But I want you to see also that it was hard sometimes and that it was messy sometimes. I think we might think of the early church as neat and ordered and tidy. We might think of them as free from any of the problems or any of the challenges that grip the church today. And yes, the church did go through an amazing start, an amazing period of time in the book of Acts. But I also want you to see today that at times it was hard fought and messy And that things didn't always work out perfectly. That the apostles had to work hard. Chapter 18 and 19 of Acts, I hope, will show us some of these things. Today we'll see that some missteps were made in the early church. We'll see that even very gifted preachers in the early church, they still had things to learn. 
Not everyone was as well educated as they might have been. And we'll see that for Paul, often his work was just hard and long. Now as you read these chapters, I hope it's a bit like looking into my garage, that you see the messiness of the early church. But I hope you also see then the authenticity and the realness of the early church. Now by now you probably have given a little bit of thought to this Spring Connections project that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Here's a bit of a reality check for us here today. I think it might get messy. It might be more work getting to know your neighbours or your workmates than you first thought it was. Today I want you to draw some encouragement from these chapters as we see Paul's experience and that the church still grew through these things. So this morning we're going to see three challenges to the early church and yet we're going to see the church still growing through these three challenges. I'm really thankful again for the work of William Taylor who's a pastor in the UK who's helped me understand this passage and have a bit of an angle to talk about this morning. Now these points come predominantly from him. The first thing I want you to see today is that church growth happens despite the need for instruction and correction. Church growth happens despite the need for instruction and correction. We'll see that with Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos this morning. Second thing we're going to look at is that church growth still happens despite there being some confusion in the early church. That growth happens despite there being confusion. And the last thing I want us to see, the third thing, is that church growth sometimes just happens through hard toil and labour. Church growth is not always just effortless, even in the book of Acts. So there are three challenges today, lack of knowledge, confusion and hard labour. I also want us to see though that this is a, 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 a section of text that's full of potential because despite these things we see the church still growing and we see this most clearly I think in, in verse 20 of chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles open, I'd love you to have a look at verse 20 of chapter 19. This is one of those divider section verses in the book of Acts. I've told you about these before, they're the clever devices that Luke, our author, uses to kind of mark the end of a section, but also to give us a progress report of what's happening in the early church. It's a bit, they're a bit like a commentator who's you know, commentating on the sport game, but every now and again they, they pause as they're recounting what's going on in the, in the field of play to give you a score update. You know how commentators do that? Well, here's the score update in the book of Acts supposed to be positive amid the challenge. The gospel is still going out. Let me read to you verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The church is still growing. The word of the Lord spread widely. Isn't that amazing? Because this comes after Luke showing us the messiness in the early church. The word of the Lord spread widely. God has not failed. The church is still growing despite the messiness. Well, the first thing I said I wanted to look at this morning is uh, how they're deficient in terms of the teaching. And we see that in verses 24 to 25 with a Jew named Apollos. I'm going to read to you verses 24 and 25. You'll like to follow along with me. It says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord And he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. 
I think it's, it's interesting here. Luke, our author, gives us quite a bit of detail about this man, Apollos. He tells us he was a Jew and that he was from Alexandria. Now, that's in the, the northern part of Egypt. Alexandria wasn't a Jewish city, but it did have a very large and a very strong Jewish population. It was a, a highly educated city. Um, perhaps you've heard of the Library of Alexandria. It was supposed to hold up to about 400,000 scrolls. They valued information, they valued knowledge. Uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament, that was supposedly written, translated in Alexandria. And Apollos, we read, was a man of that city. Um, as I read it, he sounds like the complete package, doesn't he? Educated, smart, and it sounds like he's oozing with charisma as well. He's a, a gifted speaker, the sort of guy that you'd want to go and hear. And Luke tells us that he taught about Jesus accurately, but there's a problem. And the problem is that he only knew the baptism of John. You might be wondering, what does that mean for Apollos? Because it seems to me that for a man who's going around teaching about Jesus, but, but he only knows about the baptism of John, well, that seems to be a bit of a problem. Are we even able to call Apollos a, a Christian, given that he doesn't know about the baptism of Jesus? Well, well, commentators are divided on this. But Luke does tell us that he taught about Jesus accurately, which is a, a strange thing to say if he wasn't a Christian. And others point out uh, that the word fervor that's used in this passage here is also used in Romans chapter 12 where, where Paul's speaking about Christians and he says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Uh, that's the same word in the original translation. It's hard to see then how, how someone who's that sort of fervor for God and that sort of fervor and zeal for Jesus could be anyone other than a Christian. Which makes Apollos a bit of a mystery for us, doesn't it? He's skilled, he's passionate, he's educated, but he only knows the baptism of John. He's, he's missing a bit of the picture. My guess here is that Luke doesn't really want us to grapple with the question of whether Apollos is saved or if he's a real Christian, but rather he wants us to see the messiness in the early church here and how it was dealt with. I think that's what's really important. I think it's beautiful in its simplicity. Let me just read on the next verse in this passage. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You might be wondering who Priscilla and Aquila are. They are probably Jewish leather workers. Priscilla is the wife, Aquila the husband. And they pop up a number of times in the Bible. They seem to be strong and long-lasting friends of Paul. Paul stayed with them on a, a number of occasions. But look how they school Apollos here. They invite him into their home and they explain the way of God more adequately. So gentle, isn't it? And diminutive. I mean, think about how satisfying it would have been for, for Priscilla to stand up in one of Apollos' lectures and, and just to school him publicly. How satisfying to kind of... Um, be able to show this man from the learned city of Alexandria that he doesn't really know everything. And yet they don't do that. I reckon it would have felt good to show they knew more, but they don't. Instead, they take him into their home. I imagine they probably fed him and maybe shared a glass of wine. And as they did so, they, they build him up in his knowledge. It's gentle. I wonder if you've ever experienced something like this, a, a, a gap in knowledge. Have you ever been deficient in your understanding about how something works? 
If you were, how was it pointed out? How were you schooled? How were you corrected when that was the case? Years ago when I worked as an engineer, I was traveling with a work colleague. We'd been out visiting some clients or something. I actually don't really remember what we were doing out and about, but we were driving one of the work cars from the pool of vehicles and the car was running low on fuel. I was driving, so I pulled into the service station and because it was a work car, I didn't know what side of the car the fuel filler was on, so I jumped out of the car and had a look to see what side it was on. Worked it out, jumped back into the car and pulled up to the right side of the fuel bowser. I filled the car up, went in and paid, came back out to the car and as I started to drive off, my friend who I was with just very gently said to me, hey, you know, I learned something the other day. Most cars have this little arrow on the fuel bowser that points to the side of the car that the fuel filler's on. I've got a photo of it on the screen behind me. You want to put it up there, James? See that that little arrow up there? Now, for 99% of you, this will not be a surprise, right? But for me, this was a revolution. Maybe it's just my bad eyesight. I don't know what it was, but I'd never before noticed this little arrow next to the the petrol pump um, picture on the car dash. I'd never understood that it gave you some important information telling you what side of the car the fuel filler was on. If you haven't seen this before, go and have a look in your car. Almost sure it'll be there. Now, I was deficient here. Sure, I could drive a car. And when it came to fueling the car, I had a way of doing it, but there was a better way. I just lacked the information. Now, my friend, he could have laughed at me. I reckon he could have made a bit of a fuss about this. He could have had a good joke on me, jumping out of the car to look what side the fuel filler's on. But instead, he just said, oh, I only learned this recently myself. He could have had a good laugh at my expense, but he didn't. And today, every single time I go and fill up my car with fuel, I look down at that arrow and I kind of smile, knowing that I now know that bit of information. I hope we can borrow here from the way that Priscilla and Aquila teach and correct Apollos. I hope you can see the importance of hospitality and gentle correction for the early church here. Here's my encouragement for you this morning. If you've been given as a gift by God a great understanding of the Bible, if you've wrapped your head around theology already, that's a gift from God. And my challenge to you is how are you going to share that with others? Priscilla and Aquila are gentle and they invite Apollos into their house and they correct him gently. And not only that, but after having done that, they get together with others in the church and they send Apollos on with letters of recommendation. He wants to travel on to Corinth and he does that with their recommendation. And look at the result as I read on. When he arrived there, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Priscilla and Aquila had a role to play in that. They helped educate him. And later in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this of Apollos. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. He goes on to have a long ministry of watering the seeds of the gospel that Paul planted. How much of that is due to the gentle correction of Priscilla and Aquila? Fair bit, I imagine. What I want you to see this morning is the church grows in a messy way. Sometimes the preachers who are gifted to do that, they don't necessarily know everything. And the early church, it's benefited here from the careful and gentle correction, from from hospitality. 
of those who have already been given as a gift by God knowledge. That's the first point. In chapter 19, Apollos heads off to Corinth and Paul goes on to Ephesus and there Paul finds some disciples and he asks them this question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I think there's a lot going on here. How did Paul know that they were disciples? How can they be called the disciples if he's not sure that they've received the Holy Spirit? We could ask of this passage, is this a pattern for us today that we believe in Jesus but then at some later point we receive the Holy Spirit? Now, now these are good questions for us to ask from this passage. But I think Luke here, our author, I think he records this encounter not so much so that we'd come up with a, a theology on some of those questions, but rather he wants us to show us again that growth in the church was messy. That the message of Jesus as Lord and Messiah and the, the message of life that comes in his name sometimes made its way out of Jerusalem and yet it got a little bit confused on the way and that some aspects of it were misunderstood. Here's my messy garage again. These disciples are eager, but like Apollos, they're lacking. They've not heard the full story. They've perhaps missed out on what's been happening since Pentecost. Maybe they knew of Jesus' death and his resurrection, but they don't know the full story. And here Paul's ministry is needed. Paul can provide for them what they need. He can bring them up to speed, and he does that. I'm reminded here of those stories that we hear from some of our overseas missionaries. So a couple of weeks ago, we listened to Mike and Karen Rowe on the screen, and they talked about a friend of theirs. I forget his name, maybe it was Alex. He was talking about the zeal for the church that his friends had, but that they lacked knowledge of who Jesus was. They were zealous for him, but they were missing some of the story. A desire to be disciples, but an incomplete knowledge. Can you see the the need here? It's similar to that. Can you see the imperative that the church has today to keep training and equipping people, not just here in Adelaide, but across the world? I'm so thankful for this place that we meet in. It's a great place for us to do church. But Monday to Friday, I think most of you know that this is a Bible college. And students sit in that room, particularly up there, where they're taught and equipped so that they might help others know the full story of God. Not just in this place, but across the world. And I wonder for us individuals if we're going to encounter a bit more of this over the coming years. See, my feeling is, maybe it's just a feeling, that the generation before us, I reckon we could take it for granted that they knew the story of the Bible, the content of it. They might not have believed it, they might not have lived it out, but at least in an academic way, they kind of knew the story of the Bible. They knew who Jesus was, they knew about things like Pentecost, they knew about Paul. But I reckon that's increasingly not so much the case. As we make connections with our neighbours and with our friends and with our family, we might find that there are significant gaps in their understanding of the story of God, of what he's done. Now we shouldn't necessarily expect that they've read the Bible or that they've seen Jesus in the pages of the Bible. They may never have read a single page. They may never have thought about Jesus twice. Back in 2019 at Easter time, Mike uh, was uh, up, standing up on this stage giving a bit of a talk to the Radiate kids, that's our years four to six kids, about the Easter story. And there was a girl there that morning who wasn't from one of our families but had been invited by one of the other kids. And her eyes just opened up big when Mike was talking about Jesus. It seemed as though she'd never heard the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. It was a brand new story for her. 
People today don't necessarily know that story. And they need to know it. Now just before we move on from this little section here, some of you might be interested in the order of the events that happen here. The way in which the disciples are receiving the Holy Spirit and then speaking in tongues. I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but but what I think is happening here is that Pentecost is catching up with those who are in Ephesus. So when it says they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit, I mean, I think that means they'd not heard about the events of Pentecost. Because if they were John's disciples, they must have at least come across some concept of the Spirit, if it's an Old Testament idea as well as a New Testament idea. So I think what's happening here is the disciples are saying they've not heard of Pentecost, and so the speaking of tongues or the speaking of other languages demonstrates that Pentecost is now catching up to these disciples in Ephesus. That's the end of point two. Third thing I want to look at with you this morning is the way in which, as the gospel goes out in a messy world, that sometimes it's just plain hard work. If we skim read this passage, then I think we probably um, come away with verse 20 of chapter 19 sticking in our minds, that the word of the Lord spread widely and with power. And that sounds terrific, and it is. How good was it be to be part of the early church when that's happening? But this morning I want you to just notice the effort that Paul goes to. Let me read to you from verse 8 of chapter 19. You might have to follow along. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them were obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Notice in verse 8 that Paul, in his usual practice, he enters the synagogue of Ephesus and there he speaks boldly, not once, not twice, but for three months, he's arguing and persuading about the kingdom of God. Is it easy work? Well, Luke tells us they were obstinate and some publicly maligned the way. This is hard graft for Paul here. And after three months, Paul leaves them and he, he heads instead to the daily discussions in the hall of, of Tyrannus. I don't know much about him, but perhaps he lived up to his namesake. Was he a tyrant? Was the lecture hall of Tyrannus a place of fierce battles of the wit and rhetoric? Maybe, we don't really know. But whatever it was like, Paul was there daily. And look at verse 10. He was there for two years, persuading, arguing, teaching and training about the kingdom of God doesn't all happen instantly. I hope this is an encouragement for you today, even in the early days of the church, when we we might think of them as the glory days, when, when the word of the Lord did spread widely and with great power, but there was Paul in the lecture hall of Tyrannus daily putting in the hard yards. Now, of course, in verse 11, we read about the extraordinary things that happened there as well. God did do amazing miracles through Paul. Now, it is God doing the miracles through Paul. Luke tells us that even bits of Paul's clothing, probably things that were connected to his craft of making tents, were used to cure the sick. Days in the early church were amazing days. But despite that, Paul doesn't just sit back and let his sweaty handkerchief do all the work for him. 
He's there in the lecture hall persuading and convincing and arguing, speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, Here's what, what I hope you remember today from this. Even back in the time of the apostles when these amazing healing miracles were taking place and all these amazing things were happening, even then church growth was not necessarily neat and ordered and clinical. Even back then it was messy, like my garage. But it was real as well. Even in the early days where there were some great orators and speakers, as learned as they were, like Apollos, they still needed to be corrected and shaped so that they could go on to be better defenders of the faith. Even back then, others who, who think they have a full picture of Jesus, they might miss key elements of who he is. And they might need further instruction and help. And in the midst of all of that, there's just plain hard work to be done of reasoning and persuading and convincing people of the kingdom of God. Well, it's not that different to our world today then, is it? So can I encourage you this morning to, to be a bit like Priscilla and Aquila. When you have opportunity, do what you can to correct and gently help people know who God is and what he's done in Jesus. Be hospitable and helpful and kind when the occasion comes. And can I encourage you to keep thinking about how you might support others whose job it is to train and build up people. Organisations like the Bible College of South Australia or people like Mike and Karen Rowe who are in South Africa specifically to train and build up others so that they can teach the faith in its fullness. And let's not forget as well that our world is messy at the moment. And that we might need to be persistent as we proclaim who Jesus is. We might need to spend years with our friends bearing the gospel to them. Showing God's kindness, his goodness and his grace in Jesus. And I think we should not be surprised if we're in that for the long haul. Paul reasoned in Tyrannus's lecture hall for two years and yet he had a dirty handkerchief that could heal the sick. I think we too should expect the process of sharing the gospel to be a long process as we too argue persuasively about the kingdom of God. I'm going to pray that we'd be able to do that as individuals in God's church. Let me pray. Father God, we, we thank you for this encouragement from uh, chapter 18 and 19 of Acts. And we can see that the world of the early church was not all that different to our world today, that it was still messy. And yet we thank you for the encouragement that Luke records for us, that your word is going out. Father, we pray that you would use us today as people in your, your world. Please encourage us to correct, rebuke and train people with the wisdom that Priscilla and Aquila had. Please give us the patience, the strength and the energy that the Apostle Paul had. And help us to stay in the work of gospel proclamation for the long haul. And we ask that as we do this, you would be a good God and would save many. Amen.